Welcome to the Focus on Why podcast. I'm Amy Rowlandson and I ask my guests one simple question, why? Focusing on the importance of why, I share with you the relatable, uplifting and inspiring conversations I have with people from all walks of life. This podcast will encourage you to focus on your why to enable and empower you to achieve the success you desire. Have a purpose, have a plan, focus on why. Before we start, I would like to draw your attention to my weekly email newsletter, Friday Focus. Each Friday, I focus on one topic with one action arising. The link to sign up is in the show notes or head over to amyrolinson.com and sign up right now. Today on Focus and Why, I am joined by Ava Fanari. Hi, Ava. How are you? Hi, Amy. I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. And where are you at the moment? Where are you in the world? It, it is 6.10 in the morning for me. I am sitting in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Fantastic. It's in the United States of America. And that's a long way away and it's very early. So thank you. It is early. It is early. But, you know, early bird catches a worm, I heard. Yeah. And records a podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) So tell me, what is it you're doing at the moment, Ava? I am at the moment a director of training and education for the largest real estate company in the state of New Mexico called Wellbanka Legacy. And what does that entail? I train, uh, for the most part, I train new real estate brokers, how to get started in this business, how to build the business, how to build a sustainable business. And a large chunk of it is something that's very dear to me, which is negotiating conflict management and de-escalation and emotional self-regulation. We tend to think that real estate is about houses and just your good old residential resale is as emotional as it gets. How did you find your, yeah, how did you find yourself in the world of real estate? Oh, it was, I was kind of nudged into this. My, well, I don't know if you could tell, Amy, by my accent, but I am not from the United States. I am from a small country in in Europe, Estonia. And I got a scholarship to the United States and I came to study here. During my studies, I met a boy. We got married. We had a kid. We got a mortgage. And here, here I was in New Mexico unexpectedly. And after I had been at home with kids for several years, my husband thought it would be really cool to stop dabbling in real estate, make some money. And to be able to help him, I got my real estate license here and got into the business. Yeah, I love that. I love that. It's brilliant. And a long way from home. Have you been back to Estonia since? Oh, yes. Several, several times. I like to go... Uh, my, my, in my, in an ideal world, I would like to go back and visit once a year, but life often happens differently. So because of the pandemic, I haven't been back in four years. So I'm planning on going this summer, come, come what may, but I'm going. And what about the children? Are, are they, do they speak Estonian or do you, do you keep their language going with them? 
I keep the language going with them and it's difficult to learn a language if you don't have enough practice and I don't practice enough. So they understand way better than they speak. And now that they are close to teenage years, now they're getting a little shy when they make mistakes, but that's all on me, not on them. Brilliant. So we had a similar sort of way of working with the children being at home and then working in real estate. I did the same. Tell me, you said you dabbled or your husband encouraged you to dabble in real estate but this is not dabbling that you're doing no it I just got into it I didn't know anything about real estate I had never even thought about getting into real estate and so the learning curve was pretty steep also uh, there's a it's a whole different language when you get into any specific business niche they all come with their own vernacular and terms and uh but I sort of got into it and I I think I'm pretty good. <laughs> but uh, yeah. You're saying that it gets it doesn't get any more emotional as working in real estate. Tell me a bit more about that. I just heard from I, I'm going I'm taking a leadership course because my my goal here is to be the best leader I can be. And the instructor in the course really brought it into a sort of foremind that we need the emotional brain way more than rational brain when we make decisions. And I sort of had an epiphany when I was listening to this. That's exactly how it works in real estate. When somebody looks at a house to, and, and when they're looking for a home, not for an investment property, and they have to fall in love with the house. And when they fall in love with the house, then they can rationalize away all the red flags and all the little uh, items about the house that, you know, maybe shouldn't really make them want to have the house. But if they want the house, they want the house. And on the flip side of things, when somebody needs to sell a house, that's their baby. And you don't tell somebody their baby is ugly. We, it brings out the mama bear in the best of us. It's a very emotional business. And from the investment side, where does the, where do emotions fit in there? It's a little bit less. It's more of a numbers game for the investors for the most part, but there's still an emotional element that comes with even making that decision. And it was a study done in California where uh, scientists were taking a look into people who had brain damage and the part of the brain that was damaged was the part that helps us feel something or feel emotion and otherwise these people were just fine but they were incapable of making decisions so the rational brain needs way more help from the emotional brain to make decisions like even investors make emotional decisions they can all of a sudden get emotional it's I think we're emotional all day long, but all of a sudden the emotions start really running havoc in the in the middle of a transaction. And maybe when you think about it, when I enter somebody's life, they are already going through something pretty significant. Maybe they have a new baby in the house. Yeah, it's really happy, but anybody who's ever had a new baby in the house knows how much pressure and stress it puts on everybody around them. And sometimes People are empty nesters and, and there is death and there is divorce. So they have a new job opportunity somewhere. Even if it's a positive change in their lives, it's change. And for the most part, it, change is challenging for humans. 
So on top of that, now add the whole stress of real estate, then we have this perfect storm. So essentially, what real estate brokers really do is they are psychologists and psychiatrists, and they have to constantly manage somebody's emotions. Yeah, so aware of many hats. Tell we me, you, mm-hmm. <laughs> you, you said that challenge is challenge, uh, change is challenging to humans. Yeah. What, what have you experienced that's been challenging for you, Ava? Oh, I have struggled with change as well. I am I'm no better. I don't rise above humanity when it comes to change. And I came to the United States, didn't know what I was getting into. I think it's difficult to understand what you get into when you migrate to an entirely different country. We don't realize how much we rely on reading people when it's like a second nature to us. And within our own community, we know exactly where we fit in where we belong to different terms, where we, how to read people, how to know when they don't like something, when they like something. And Americans are very different from Estonians. So I landed in this country with just one suitcase. Half of it was books. And I remember finding myself in a dorm room at the university and I was just shell-shocked. It, it was a room like, a room anywhere in the world. It had a bed and it had a desk, but it almost felt like I had landed in a in a monastery somewhere. It was like a cell, not in a prison, but like a cell in some recluse place. Because even the carpet and the and the bed and the you know the chair and the table, all of those small items had those small tiny differences, and how challenging it is. For the brain to get adjusted to those. And when I went to the grocery store, you can, you, you can buy bread and milk in Estonia, and you can buy bread and milk in, in the United Kingdom as well. I'm very well aware of it. But it's there's a different brands, and they don't have two and a half percent, they have two percent. And this constant decision making for the brain to sort through the items that are kind of familiar, but not really, it, it was challenging. I was surprised to find out how big of a challenge it is to change countries. And how long did it take you to adjust and to adapt? And, and obviously now you're, you're in sort of entrenched in, in the US. So I think, Amy, I'm still adjusting. <laughs> I, am, I will never get down how to write the date in the United States because they put the, and I have to now think how they do it. Oh, they put the month, day, and then the year. And I always have to think about it. Just now talking about it, I had to think about it. And no kilometers, just miles. And what's a Fahrenheit? Like, why? Why? <laughs> I'm with you. I'm with you on that. And, and the date is definitely confusing. And I have had some errors when I've scheduled podcast recordings with other people in the States. And it's not being clear what that actual date is because, I've, you know, I've, I've just assumed that they would go day, month, year. But of course they don't. They do month, day, no. year. So, no. yeah, interesting. And it's like it's, it's, it's this really tiny difference, big differences. I can handle those. Most of us can summon all of our forces behind big changes. But it's those tiny little idiosyncrasies. I'll give you another fun one. When you turn on the water in in the shower, hot water and cold water are switched. They have switched sides here. 
And oh, for years, I would scold myself or freeze myself in the shower because it's so automatic. There's so much that we do on autopilot and it would be, so, you know, I'm in the shower and I forget again, which one is which. I'm starting to get a hold of it though. <laughs> Taking 15 years, 15 years. Fantastic. So tell me the the changes that you've adapted to and that you're still adjusting to them now, but what was the dream that you had when you came over? Was there a plan? Did you have a, or was it just a case of let's see how things go? No, the plan was very clear. I was going to do my master's degree and then hopefully do my PhD as well. And then I was going to go back to Estonia. <laughs> that was the grand plan. And I'm still here. I don't have a PhD. It's still in the books for some day, but kids have uh, sort of a little bit hijacked my 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 plans. And what was your study in? What were you studying at university? I was studying history. I my undergrad work was on the Atlantic slave trade, and it was sort of a logical step to go and study in Savannah, Georgia, in the United States, where one of the biggest slave markets was. And I sort of shifted gears there a little bit and I did my work for the master's degree in the ideology of Americanism. Wow. And are you using any of that at all? Are you is it all just parks for the moment? It's it's a little bit parked for the moment, but I feel like those studies for me, they were so profound just to see how the world is working, how an ideology and the identity of an entire nation is being formed and formulated over the decades or centuries. Because we will have a national identity as well. You can take every single country and sort of create the person out of that country as well with its characteristics and the way they see the world. And there's a reason why we think the way we do. Every nation tells different stories about themselves, about the world, even to this day. Sometimes we look back in history and, you know, several thousand years ago, can you imagine they were sitting around campfire telling stories to each other? We are still phenomenal storytellers and we do, do this all day long. So a, a big surprise for me was how Americans see World War II. Just Let's just take this one war that was... Uh, Somehow, you know, touching the entire world. I don't think there's a nation out there who has not been touched by this. But everybody's story about this war is just a little bit different. What was it like from the Estonian perspective? Oh, the war? Mm. Oh, this is a touchy topic. Uh, Amy, we may need to turn off the recording for this one. <laughs> But I was, you know, when you are born into a country and when you're so immersed in, in that country's historic consciousness, then it's almost like it's surprising that someone else does not subscribe to the same worldview and to the same understanding of the big world events. And it's interesting, isn't it? Because the, the worldview is changed all the time in terms of you studying history. And what was deemed the worldview at the beginning of the war would have changed significantly by the end of the world war. And, and again, you know, different perspectives within countries as well. It's, it's fascinating in the, this topic of history and how it is a collection of stories, you know, and it's not, you know, everybody has their own map of the world, their own perspective, and there is no one true vision. 
Yes. Yeah. That's so true. That is so true. Our lives are nothing but collections of tiny little stories. Some of them play out in reality, in physical world, and a lot of those are just interpretations in our own heads. And we just spin those stories. And somehow those stories, Amy, also have to fit into the larger story that our group is providing for us. So I think it's beautiful. If I can just sit and listen to people's stories, and that's what you, Amy, do. You are fascinated. You you are a, a, a property investor on, <laughs> you know, the the guru of stories around you. Yeah. I think it's important to listen to those stories. And when you listen to somebody's stories, people will start making sense to you, why they make decisions, why they behave a certain way, why they talk a certain way. And that's what's so fascinating about Focus on Why is that that when you're talking about purpose and when you're listening to someone's story, they are so unique and it is incredible how they've come to the point at which we start to have a conversation and record it in this moment. And you know that it's going to go into a different trajectory from that point onwards. It's it's fabulous. Tell me about your purpose, Ava. Where does purpose fit into your life? It fits into my life every single day. So, Amy, we were sort of talking about change here, how challenging it can be. And I moved to first to the East Coast of the United States. And then when I was already married, my husband got a job here in New Mexico. The New Mexico is as radically different as you can possibly think of from Estonia. And I don't mean people necessarily. People always have commonalities, even though they have a lot of differences as well. But climate-wise, Estonia is sea level and 33% of the land mass is actually below sea level. So a lot of wetland, very humid climate, temperate climate, long, long winters, very dark winters and green, lush summers. So you live for those summers when the nature is coming out of the hibernation. And here it is dry. It is dry. It's about a mile a little bit less than, a, well, I say a mile or so, you know, a kilometer and a half above sea level. It's just sand everywhere. There's very little color uh, unless you count the sunset. The sunset happens only for a little bit of a time. And everything is beige around you. And when the summer months are coming, then uh, for my complex, I can't go outside from about 10 a.m. until 5, 6 in the evening because the sun is has taken a whole different dimension. Sun has teeth here, like literally it will come after you. I left an orange on the counter the other day. It will it will turn into a stone within a week. You could kill somebody with an orange because it's just so dry here. And change is you know, going to a different country is challenging enough. And when we came to New Mexico, I had no friends. There was no family here. My husband and no family and no friends here. So I became really like a monk in a secluded monastery somewhere. And I, when life puts the same in a situation where we have nothing to distract us, no job, no friends, you don't know anybody, you don't even know where to start getting to know somebody, then we have no place to hide from ourselves and that's the that's the place where i was in in 2014 you have to really analyze 
you don't have to analyze, but you have to face yourself. You have to you have to find out what's your own truth. If you struggle against any of this, it's going to make you sick. And that's what happened to me in 2014. So when you ask me about my why and my purpose and do I live it every day, I do because I I came really close to dying, Amy. And I and I, and there is no there is I didn't have like a big known disease, but I was just slowly dying because I had no idea who I was. I had no idea what the world around me was. I, I didn't know how to be in this physical world. I have had a couple of uh, episodes with depression throughout my life. I have no idea where this is coming from. And I, I don't really get suicidal. The first sign for me always is that I will stop sleeping and why sleep is just so important. But what happened to me was I just got a, like a common cold and it wouldn't go away and it would just escalate and get worse and worse and worse. And I spent days and days in the emergency room. This whole ordeal lasted almost six months and it culminated me being in the emergency surgery, having to have surgery for my throat and almost bleeding to death. Wow. And and you think that that was a manifestation from your state of mind that then came out in the body? I'm 100% convinced. I think our state of mind has a huge role to play how our physical body is feeling. There's nobody else to point a finger at. And I'm not doing any finger pointing towards myself as well. But I was, I was just, you know, when, when we, when we're not in touch with our soul or with our why or with our path in this life, we start desperately making attempts to control the physical world around us. And that's what I was doing. And I was trying to control the world that was completely unknown to me. I I didn't even know this world. And I would rather try to control this world than to face myself and be honest with myself. What did I want out of this world? What was important to me? And just sort of realizing that if I want to be happy, then it's up to me to make me happy. It's nobody else's fault. And I put, uh, you know, just a moment of truth there. I put enormous amount of pressure on my husband uh, and on my kids as well, because my expectation was that someone out there has to make me happy. And uh, turns out that doesn't, that's not how it works, Amy. (laughs) How does it work? So... And I can only speak my truth here, how I perceive this world and and the reality and this physical existence that we're all a part of. I don't know, Amy. (laughs) I, I don't have like a very straight answer. Let's put it this way. But when I was like in the, the final moment in the emergency room, when the doctors tried to stop my throat from from bleeding and they had to haul me over to a different hospital because one hospital just couldn't help me. They didn't have the means. I I, I had like a moment and, and sometimes this moment is described as a near-death experience when the body is starting to shut down, but uh, the consciousness is experiencing something that I hadn't experienced before. And in that moment, I had the clarity, what was my purpose in this life? And that's when, when you know, month and month after that moment, I, I joined Toastmasters and I started speaking, training, and 
I've been doing it ever since because when I go to work, Amy, I it's almost like a scary thing to say out loud, but I don't feel like it's work. I just, I love so much what I do. I get to inspire people. I get to train them and give them hope that tomorrow it's going to be better and they they can do what they desire to do in this in this world as well. And yes, of course, I you know teach them contracts and how to negotiate and and how to build a business and how to be a leader of their business. But the grand purpose behind all of this is to make somebody stay lighter just because I was in that day, just because I touched their day. I don't know if that made any sense to you at all, Amy. I just like I feel like rambled on and on. Not at all. No, it make it, it makes lots of sense to me. And and what I I'm hearing and and obviously because I can see you, but people will be listening to this. It's a case of your throat is was the source of your pain and of the manifestation of the near death experience. And yet you said that you had this clarity of purpose. And you went and joined Toastmasters. So essentially, the source of your pain was your voice, and you then yeah. were able to speak. Exactly. And I don't, you know, it is, there's a big energy center in, in the whole throat area, speaking your truth or, or not speaking your truth, speaking who you are, just not, not being scared, Amy, to take up space in this world. And I think... By coming to the United States, it I got, I, I got so scared. I got scared being me because I didn't know if that was going to be okay. And I think that a lot of times, if I am me, it's not okay because that's not how this society works. And I have to be okay with this. I am who I am. And they are who they are. The, or the people, All people around me are who they are. And... Their purpose is to expand me as a human, and my purpose is just the same. But to this day, I just a little bit struggle with taking up space. Just like I, I feel like I tiptoe around the world, just you know, desperately trying to win that gold star from somebody. You know, please like me. I've gotten way better, but this desperate need of approval from the world around me is is still there somewhere. Some days are better than others, but I the best analogy that I can tell where I was in 2014 was that I was tiptoeing, tiptoeing around in this world, too scared that what if I'm going to bother somebody? And I think it's been a, a magnificent lesson to me. Ironically, I was living next door to a, an elderly gentleman. I don't know how old he was. He could have been... 70, he could have been 100, one of those people who just, you know, they just look like they are wise and sage. And he was a really good match to me because he also was tiptoeing around life and preparing to die. Just almost too scared to even take a breath. But that's our birthright. We we have the right to, to be in this world and to throw our weight around and take up space and be heard and be valued and be liked and be disliked at the same time. There is so much cloud that we give to negative emotions. Ooh, you know, can't feel those. 
and especially in the in the American society, people are very cognizant of negative feelings, and you're not supposed to show this to the public. Only the positive feelings are feelings. It doesn't matter whether they are positive or negative. They have the right to all of those. It's okay to be upset. It's okay to be happy. Whatever you feel, you are already essentially loved and worthy just because you were born and. Somewhere along the childhood, most of us lose this sense of self-worth and worthiness. So with that, as a parent and knowing that that's the case, does it affect your parenting style? Amy, when it comes to parenting, I am basically winging it every day. I wish I had like a system as a parent and I have read so many books. And My mother is a psychologist who gives me advice and I... I think I am a pretty tolerant person when it comes to people's idiosyncrasies. I think the same applies to my kids, but I have no idea what I'm doing. I, you know, sometimes it comes out really great. Sometimes I'm like, what were you thinking? Like, why? Why? And that's my parenting style, honestly. I wish I had. So some people know, well, they, they practice mindful parenting or they do tiger mom parenting. I don't have a style. It's one day at a time. It really is. I don't, now I'm having like an epiphany. Maybe I should have a style. Maybe I should sort of subscribe to something. I, and, and I, you know, communication, Amy, is not just words and the tone of voice and um, the body language. There is all this cultural and spiritual and mystical conditioning. And then how was the day? Did I have a good meal? Have I been eating junk food? How did I sleep the night before? There are so many small little influences into how we behave towards others every day that I, it's it's challenging for me to sort of put some sort of a framework around it when I get home. <laughs> well, it seems to me that essentially your entire time awake is spent negotiating managing conflict and facing challenges whether that be at home or in the workplace yes and I think that's for everybody that's all we do and if we don't have any other people around us then we are negotiating with ourselves we often overlook in the negotiation world what has to happen within us for us to be effective negotiators and conflict handlers outside of us so if somebody has very negative self-talk and dialogue, it's going to start seeping out at some point because the way we talk to ourselves is a reflection of how we give ourselves permission to talk to other people as well. Usually it has nothing to do with other people, but it has everything to do with the internal life. So if we learn all the tricks and uh, tools how to negotiate with others and if we don't apply those to ourselves we haven't gotten to the source of the problem it's an un- unsust- in, in my opinion what i have observed it's an unsustainable way of handling negotiation you and we ourselves we are our, our own greatest work in this life constant work every single day i at some point was hoping that if I work myself for the next two years, then I'm done working on myself. And it doesn't work like this. Every day is a new project. I'm a big project person. I like a deadline to my endeavors. But ourselves, there's no deadline to this. Every day we wake up and we have to start at it again. Setting an intention for the day, 
watching out when uh, we maybe would not handle a situation the way we would like to. And if it happens, we have to come from a tremendous amount of compassion and kindness and forgiveness towards ourselves. Again, forgiveness, when we talk about forgiveness, we again think about forgiving someone else as it's something between two individuals. No, the the greatest challenge when it comes to forgiveness is forgiving ourselves. So in that moment of where you felt your body shutting down and then you had this clarity of purpose, Mm -hmm. do you think it was forgiveness that you saw? What was it? Oh, near-death experiences have happened to humanity for thousands of years, as long as we have written records and most likely before that as well. And we don't really talk about it because empirical evidence for anything out there is not scientific enough. So this is not science, what I'm about to tell you, Amy, just making that clear for the listeners and Amy to you. Uh, What I experienced was this connection with something that is that was outside of myself. It was it was a surprise. I believe in science. I believe in evolution and and things I can sense with my uh, senses, even if it's minuscule and microscopic. And then I can still look at it with a microscope. Or there is some sort of evidence for it, right? Atoms, I can't see them, but there is evidence for it. But this was completely beyond everything that I have experienced in the physical realm. And the best way to describe it was that it was this complete acceptance and love towards who I was and towards everybody, not just me, that everything around us, every human being, every situation, every house, every tree is just exactly the way they are supposed to be. And when I say love, up to that point, I had understood love, love between parents and children, of course, intimate love between partners, maybe brothers and sisters, but in a very physical and materialistic way. But there's a, there's a bigger love that Buddhism talks, like every single religion, larger religion talks about as well. And it's that unconditional love towards every form of life around you and this complete acceptance who you are that you already accept it just the way you are. You, you what, what, what the world needs is you the way you were born, not the way you were trying to be, but the way you already are. That's what's missing from this world. This intense, intense acceptance. And of course, I thought I was dying at that point because I had lost so much blood. And I, uh, I, I thought that was my moment that I was going to die. Like, that's it. That's how we die. No fireworks, no big drama. It's just quietly you die and the rest of the world just moves on. Don't Doesn't even know that you have passed away. And during that moment, the message was very clear to me. It's not your time to go. And, and when I sort of came back to consciousness in that, in that hospital room or emergency room, the, the blood was pulled from the blood banks and the tubes were pushed into my veins to start the blood transfusions. And I knew that I wasn't going to, like, it's going to be fine. It didn't matter what they were going to do. It was, it was clear it wasn't my turn to go. 
at the time, Amy, I thought that I had met death. I thought that's what death is like. And I was so spooked about it for two years. I didn't say a single word about that experience to anybody, not even to my husband, because I was convinced that people would tell me that I have I just lost my marbles. I have I gone crazy. And then it was at my kids' school's parking lot when this topic came up with a random dad. And it just so happened that that random dad was not so random. He had been He's actually a, uh, he's a, an engineer and he had worked for Intel at the time. He was an Intel engineer at the time. And he had done extensive research into near-death experiences because he was just so fascinated by the fact that there's something beyond what the science is thinking or telling us. And I can't even say science because Einstein was the one who said that the greatest question humanity can ask itself is, is this a friendly universe? This is the greatest question, <laughs> right? A man who came up with a relativity theory and it's messing with our minds, talking about how time is relevant and you can warp time and space. And he thinks that's the great, greatest question. Is this a friendly universe? Because whatever we think it's going to be. And um, so I spoke to this gentleman and he said, no, Eva, you need to look into this. What you experience is can be put under the umbrella of NDE. And I started looking into it and then I started sharing my stories. And it has it has had a profound effect on people when I share the story. I think it touches something in them. Just when, whenever I say in a classroom that two human or two basic human needs are to be safe and to be loved, it, the class always goes quiet. Like you, you can hear a hair drop on the floor. It gets so quiet. And I don't think it's the safe path. I think it's the love. Yeah. Wow. Well, thank you so much for sharing your experience. And it's incredible to to think that you didn't share that with anyone for you know two years that you just sort of had that in your 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 own private mind going over and and thinking about that and it does come back to love uh, many of the conversations that we have have come back to to love in in some essence and when you were talking earlier something that came to mind was the Byron Katie's work loving what is I don't know if you're familiar with Byron no. Katie. no it's just it's really interesting and I'll, I'll, I'll talk about that in, a, in another podcast and I'll do reflections about loving what is but it is those near-death experiences that do bring you right back to essentially what really matters in life. It does. And it kind of showed me that I'm overthinking this and I am overanalyzing this. It's so simple. It's so simple. You you already accept it as you are. Now go and experience this world because it's amazing if you just look at it as a friendly and amazing place. And I could go on and on and on on the topic because it's something that I feel so confident talking about because that's just what happened. And I'm not alone in this. There are millions, millions of examples of an experience that was very similar to us. None of the NDE experiences are identical, but they're very similar and their similarities as uh, you know, people um, progress through their experience. So you know, but it is, and, and 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 if let me gather my thought here, Amy, for a moment. We forget, we forget that there is this divine element to us, that we are this magical creatures 
people can experience something that to our knowledge, maybe some other animals cannot. What we can do to lift each other, we can so easily to tear each other down, but we can also lift each other. And we can create a space for everyone to feel safe and loved. That's beautiful. Thank you, Ava. And you've taken us from real estate to a real state, you know, in terms of what it's like to be really alive. Mm -hmm. I love that from real estate to real estate. It is, it is. And we are, we are all just in our own way trying to manage our existence in this world. And like a lot of us have lost the touch with what's deeper inside. You know, when you think about when, when you think about the outer space, like how big it is, it's so big that about 99.9% of it is just empty space, even though we have these massive planets and stars and gas monsters out there. The closest galaxy to us is over 4 million light years away. This is how much space there is. But then when we think about the human body, it's the same, 99.9% of it is just what we think empty space. So essentially, it's just energy. Isn't that fascinating? Because when you take a, an atom and we are made of tissue, tissues are made of cells, cells are made of molecules, molecules are made of atoms. So when you take an atom and you blow it to the size of a football field, the nucleus that actually sort of that substance of that atom is the size of it tennis ball at the center of it the rest of it is just energy and we have this vast universe around us but we have the same universe within us as well just energy and we can influence this energy with our thought processes words are so powerful i talk a lot about how to how words affect us and how to use to be very careful how we use the words because language is a, a special magical tool for us to influence our own energy and the energy of other people around us and and I don't know where I'm going with this Amy but that's what I'm anyways the universe within us and the universe around us and so when Einstein was asking us what's the is this a friendly universe ask it from yourself within you is this a friendly universe you in your body have you created a friendly universe for yourself to live in yeah i love it i love i love the the use of language is critical and and the way that we use our language in our self talk and in with our ex, ex, external talk and how we communicate with one another and the energy that goes with that as well so Ava, thank you so much for bringing a wonderful, rich conversation to Focus on Why today. It has been a really fascinating conversation and I look forward to to reflecting on it in my next Reflections episode. So thank you. How would people get in contact with you? They can find me on my website, evafanari.com. I'm also on Facebook and I'm also on LinkedIn. So you can can find me there, Eva Fanari or Eva Fanari uh, speaker. Perfect. Well, I'll make sure they all go in the show notes so people can find those. Fantastic. Again, thank you, Ava. It's been really, really interesting. And I'm I'm looking forward to going to do a little bit of 
my own research on near-death experiences so that I can talk about that in, in my next reflections. Have you got some final words for the audience, please? The only person who knows why you are alive and why you do what you do is you. It's no one else's job to figure it out for you. It's no one else's job to criticize you for what they do. You know, the saying, it's very popular. I have forgotten who said it, but what other people think of you is none of your business. You have to do every single day what brings you joy. And if you don't dwell in the space of joy, you have ventured to the territory that doesn't belong to you. So the easiest way to know why you're alive and what's your path in this life is to follow the joy. We have emotions and feelings for a reason. And it's like a constant roadmap for us. Are you feeling good doing this? If you're not feeling good, then don't do it. Not to be confused with instant gratification or pleasure. I'm talking about like true, deep, visceral joy that we feel when we see a beautiful sunset and the world stops around us or when you see someone that is so dear to you happy and smiling or when you do this act of kindness towards somebody else maybe a complete stranger and the deep satisfaction that you feel within that is your guide in this world How has this conversation had an impact on you? What value have you received from tuning in? What are your reflections with actions? Please take a moment to leave me an Apple podcast or Spotify review sharing how Focus on Why has made a difference to you today. Remember, the conversation doesn't end here. To keep it going, simply connect with me on LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook or Twitter or join the Focus on Why Facebook group. All the links are in the show notes. Have a purpose, have a plan, focus on why.